Hey, Miles, do you ever feel kind of bad for Beast? I don't know, man. I mean, he kind of dug that hole for himself. No, I mean, in the publishing line. I was thinking, you know, once Iceman and Jean Grey are out, he's going to be the only one of the original five never to have headlined a series. Maybe that's why he makes such bad choices and keeps mutating himself. Quest for protagonisthood? That's awfully cynical. I mean, even for Beast. It's a cynical world, dude. Iceman's not cynical. Iceman spent his whole life in aggressive denial, man. And I'm not just talking about his sexual orientation. Well, maybe that's because he's the only one of the OG X-Men who hasn't been either killed or significantly mutated, and he feels obligated to carry the metaphorical torch since his teammates no longer can. Oh. So there. And now I'm kind of worried about him going into his first solo ongoing. I mean, those tend to be pretty rough on a character. Um, hey, uh, Cena, Iceman's gonna be okay, right? I mean, like, I hope so, since, you know, job security and all. Well, what are you going to be throwing him up against anyway? We've seen Mr. Sinister on that first cover. That is X-classified. Oh, and Daniel Ketchum did say there'd be confrontations with his exes. They're mostly pretty nice, though. I mean, I guess except for Lorna sometimes. Ooh, and Mystique. Wait, Bobby and Mystique were a thing? Duh, on and off for years. They even became supervillains together. Iceman was a supervillain? No, I think that was just the Age of Apocalypse Iceman, wasn't it? No, it was regular Iceman. Dark Beast infected him with an apocalypse seed. Oh, that sounds bad. Uh, did it at least give him techno-organic wings or soup up his powers or something like that? Nah, it didn't affect his powers at all. It just kind of took away his inhibitions. Iceman's a pretty freewheeling dude. I'm trying to imagine him without his inhibitions, and all I can picture is him ditching a superhero fight to go get puppies or something. Mm, not exactly. So, kittens then? Nah, he, uh, kidnaps all of his ex-girlfriends, then attempts to wipe out all life on Earth by freezing the planet. What?! I'm Jay Edidon. And I'm Miles Stokes. And we are here to explain the X-Men. Because it's about time someone did. Welcome to episode 154 of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we walk you through the ins, outs, and retcons of comics' greatest superhero soap opera. And welcome to, to our guest today, writer Cena Grace. Snicked and stuff. <laughs> yeah, Cena, thank you so much for joining us. Like, we've been super psyched to hear that you were writing the Iceman book since it was announced, and now you're here on our show to talk about Iceman. Although Snicked as Wolverine's sound effect, does Iceman have a sound effect? That's kind of my my goal for legacy with the series is like to come up with the iconic Iceman, you know, onomatopoeia or sound effect. <laughs> if Cena Grace is remembered for one thing, it shall be insert sound effect here. We'll work on it today. Is it the sound effect of something freezing or the sound effect of like him using an ice slider interacting with ice in some way? I'm going to vote interact with ice in some way. I just read in the original Iceman series, uh, frack was a sound effect. So maybe I'll bring that back. Oh, man. Steal some of the thunder from Battlestar Galactica there. I'm well, down. I, I was going to say that has some um, ecological connotations now that it might not have back when that series originally came out. Everything's going to be super meaningful in this series, <laughs> down to the sound effects. Check every word. Check every line. <laughs> so this is the first time Iceman's had an ongoing series. And also, you are on our show for the first time. And I guess we should probably give listeners a bit of an intro to you, since as far as I know, this is your first X-book. Yeah, yeah, I did a one-shot, an X-Men annual one-shot last year, and then about a year before that, I did a Secret Wars Battle World tie-in uh, using Psylocke, um, and that was, yeah, so those are my two sort of experiences, um, cringe, nice. cute cringe, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, I, I'm me, I'm a, I, I write and draw comic books, uh, mainly Image Comics, but 
I've always been a Marvel boy through and through. So uh, to have this opportunity has just been the raddest. (laughs) So you've been reading Marvel for a long time. Has Iceman always been a favorite? What's interesting is I've always liked him. And to kind of call back to the Snicked, like it's been really fun to reread all the X books um, that I loved as a kid and a teenager and a young adult and not read them sort of through the lens of my favorite characters, which, you know, it's always been like Wolverine and Jean Grey. And so it's been cool to kind of look at this character that I've always liked, but never had my own relationship with him and and get to kind of have that all over again. It's been really cool. So he was never like my number one Ichiban favorite. I certainly had, I've had two Iceman action figures in my day, but it, you know, yeah, uh, in the past it's been mainly like Wolverine. <laughs> For me, uh, I think I first uh, came to love Iceman from the old Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends cartoon that I think first aired in the 70s. Like, he didn't really have much of a personality in it, but those powers, all the ice slides and stuff, that was rad as hell. I was a big fan. He's he's always been visually cool, and I think that's the thing we're leaning into with this series is that, like, Iceman's kind of given you a lot to react to at face value so you don't chip away at the ice and see what's underneath. And that's what's going to be fun about this book is, like, we're really just going to kind of give him the justice he deserves, both as a hero and a human being. Well, and um, now's definitely a good time to do that, because, I mean, there's been so much interesting character development with Iceman lately, when, really, for most of his history, he's been, I'm not going to say a stagnant character, but maybe not as focal as some of the others have been. Well, as Cena said, he's been a character who, part of whose characterization was making it difficult for folks to get past the surface. I mean, that's been an ongoing plot point in the Astonishing X-Men Apocalypse Seed story, for instance. He just refuses to go back to human form for a while because it's too hard and he's too vulnerable and ice makes things easier. And then, you know, with the recent plot developments, maybe we should talk about that. Maybe we should talk about like what uh, Brian Bendis did as far as young Bobby and old Bobby and coming out and that kind of thing, just for some context. Yeah. So for those of you who have not been following along with current X books, first of all, you're going to be kind of baffled here anyway. But second, um, (laughs) Bobby Drake came out as gay first in all-new X-Men with his younger time-displaced counterpart, and then in a conversation with the older original version in X-Men 600. Yeah, that that was his sort of a... That, yeah, that was the big thing on a personal level. And then also the past couple writers have really pushed sort of the limits of his powers too. So there's been, like you said, there's been a lot going on with him and it happens and then the camera moves back to the bigger picture, which, you know, there's been a lot like kind of, as you implied, there's just been a lot going on in the X universe lately. The reader hasn't had a chance to really settle into what Bobby's been going through. Um, So yeah, now more than ever, it's been the right time to kind of be like, hey, like, Bobby, what are you doing when we're not looking at you? Yeah, and I think I'm especially interested in the fact that this series is going to focus on the adult Bobby Drake, the one that we've, you know, been following for so many decades. We've seen a lot of focus on young Bobby Drake over in all-new X-Men, but adult Bobby, less so. So I was really happy when we finally heard that not only, A, there was going to be an Iceman series, and B, you were going to be writing it, but C, it was going to be this Bobby Drake, who I was especially interested in seeing more of. Yeah, it's I, it's so funny because like I when <laughs> when we did the first interview and they were like, so is it going to be young Bobby? And, and and to me, I was like, no, never. Like it was never about young Bobby. Like there's just so much to do. Yeah, with this guy and with his whole history, too. I don't, You know, young Bobby's awesome, but they're you know, he's, he's busy enough in his own book. And I think, you know, it's just kind of like. Oh man, to take her to take I don't know. I don't I don't see what Bendis did as anything less than rad because 
it just sort of makes you look at everything he's done and it kind of gives intention to everything. Um, and I, and I've loved, you know, putting that read on, on earlier X-Men stories and also applying that, that read to his failed relationships, which, uh, as we sort of implied in the cold open, uh, he's had a lot of failed past relationships. Um, and I, and I, you know, I'm just going to lean into it. I love it. I'm embracing it. And, uh, yeah, he's cool. And also he's an Omega mutant. There's so much to do. So I was so excited to see that the series focuses on adult Iceman for a lot of reasons, one of which is that I'm possibly deeply, overly personally invested in this particular narrative because of an accident of timing, but also because I feel like we see a lot of coming out stories, especially in mainstream media and superhero comics, focused on kids and teenagers and very, very few focused on adults. And at the same time, I mean, that's a really common story in the real world. Like, I feel like in some ways, adult Bobby is reflective of a really specific arc and a really specific story that you see a lot more of in the real world than in fiction. And I'm really interested in hearing more about how you're going to explore that and basically about how you go into writing, you know, an adult coming out story. That was the thing that drew me to him and drew me to the series when they had asked me, like, you know, hey, why don't you send us what you think you would do? with an Iceman series, like here are, here's what we're throwing at you. Tell us what you would do with it. I leaned into it and I've, you know, I, I'm an openly gay man and, and I've been on dates and stuff and, and relationships and stuff with guys who did take a while to come out of the closet. And I certainly know the psychology behind it and, and sympathize with it. And, and then to just apply the mutant metaphor to it. Yeah. It's a story that no one's really played with. And, and I hope that I handle it respectfully and, and, you know, I'm not trying to play it up for anything cheesy or whatnot. It's just, again, and, and it also plays into his powers. Like, you know, we've been talking about this the whole time. Like he's been freezing people out and it's because he's had something that that's really, you know, big and vulnerable. And, and when you hold on to it for longer and longer, it snowballs internally. I'm trying to use as many Iceman puns as I can. <laughs> I, noticed, uh, I noticed and appreciated that. Yeah, it's, it, That's very cool. Oh. I'm just trying to get them out here because like, I think they won't play in the book. Like every, you know, I, I, I use them sparingly in the book just because they feel like dad jokes <laughs> in comic book form. Um, well, and there's there's nothing that freezes a scene more immediately than a forced fun. <laughs> I, so I actually read the second Iceman. I actually read the second Iceman miniseries last night, the one that came out like in the 2000s or thereabouts. And yeah, did Dan Abnett write that one? Uh, he did, yeah. And there are so many ice puns. It's like every single page, there's Iceman making some kind of an ice or chill or cool or whatever pun. Do you think he has a little notebook where he like stores them up? Writes them down just in case. I think Bobby Drake might. That seems like something he might do. Well, my big reveal is the reason why uh, he's been suiting up more often instead of just wearing underwear is that he memento style tattoos them on himself. Ah. Uh, but he doesn't want anyone to see. So that's why he has the suit. So he's just got like his little ice pick and he does like uh, cuneiform chipping away at his own flesh. <laughs> but for, that would go uh, that would go away when he turned back. To oh. human or when he healed himself. Well, if you notice, he's been staying in ice form more, so maybe that's why. Huh. It all comes together. It all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. But, but we digress, <laughs> as we so often do. No, it's interesting talking about, um, you, you mentioned, you know, looking at the mutant metaphor kind of in addition to Bobby being a gay character. And I know that's something that Jay and I have always really appreciated seeing in X-Men because so often it seems that the mutant metaphor can almost... It's a substitute for actual representation. Yeah, and so seeing like the mutant metaphor and representation side by side, I think that is where the real meat of interesting X-Men stuff thematically is. Well, and their intersection. I mean, there's a panel in X-Men 600 that I actually printed so I'd have it as reference, which I love. The actual line is, 
I put all my energy into being a mutant and an X-Men and putting my life in danger every 10 minutes for everyone else. And that's not a brag. I made that choice. And you ask yourself, can I have just one part of my life that I'm not being persecuted for? And that's yeah. such, you know, I, I, I feel like there was a lot of criticism over how Bendis handled that whole arc. And I suspect some of it may be generational, but it rang really true to me. And I think nothing more than that particular line. Mm, yeah, I agree. And and this is like, do not worry. What I'm about to say is not what I'm tapping into for writing this. This is just a very quick face value. Like I that thing I relate to as well, you know, like uh, as anyone who follows me on Instagram knows, it's like I'm I'm attracted to a very specific kind of dude, like big, burly bear men woof or whatever. But uh, <laughs> anyway, but I remembered uh, when I was in like my early 20s, a friend asked me, he was like, do you feel like you had to come out a second time? Like you had to not only just tell your friends and family that you're gay, but then on top of that, you have to also say like, and I'm I'm attracted to this kind of person. And, and you know, and at the time, it, it also equated like older men, like, you know, 30s were the minimum and I was in my 20s. And uh, yeah, there's that. There's just like, oh, like it's like you kind of have to there. It's sort of tough to like kind of keep having to come out or keep having to deal with things. And if you can just kind of compartmentalize a part of it and not have to deal with it, the better. And again, don't worry. I'm there's far more painful things and far more rich perspectives I'm uh, researching and looking into than than like, oh, I'm just attracted to chubby dudes. But (laughs) but like, you know, that was that's a universal thing where like you just feel tired for 24 seven defending one thing. Like then you have to do another. I'd rather just kind of keep it stuffed inside. Well, and I think especially because for a lot of people who are not within certain demographics, within certain minorities, like they see if somebody's gay, like, Oh, that defines who they are. They are a gay person without realizing that there's just, there's as much nuance within any demographic as any other demographic. There's as much detail. Well, and then you have the Iceman question or the, any number of, actual people question when you've got more than one characteristic that's seen as singly defining to what extent do you have to choose a camp to what extent will people be able to see multiple of those things at a time yeah and and bobby just picked being a hero you know because it's it's easy it's safe same thing with being funny like no one looks too closely at the jokester you know people just like you always want the funny guy at the party but you don't really care if the funny guy's having a good time at the party And again, yeah, just like all of that, we are playing with it and using it to our advantage for telling what I feel is going to be a good story. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I'll I'll leave it at good with a capital G. I won't say great because who knows? You'll read issue one and you'll be like, (laughs) oh, I don't think so, though. I don't think so. So you talked about Bobby defining himself as a hero. And in context of that, and as a hero, he's always very, very much been a team guy and a guy whose identity was very heavily built on being a team guy. You see that with the X-Men. You see it, you know, the many times he's ditched office jobs to join the champions and X-Factor and so forth. And you see him kind of foundering without that. This is the first time we've really seen a book that focused on him when he's not on a team, when he's just sort of on his own. How's that going to play out? Well, for starters, uh, you know, we're going to focus on on a little bit that he, you know, he is still like within the X world and, you know, he's a teacher. And um, I I've been I've been enjoying that just sort of seeing how Bobby interacts with, you know, a younger generation of new students. He's been around and same thing with like the younger Bobby. So we we get when there's not a fight scene, 
we get to kind of see how he interacts with the people around him and also how he, you know, uses his experience to inform them and educate them. Um, and then, and then we have a little bit of the, like, you know, the question of like, does he take the fight to people or does the fight come to him? And it'll be a little bit of column A and column B, uh, sort of seeing what bad guys land in his world and why, you know, he can't just call the rest of the team and turn it into a team book and why sort of every issue ends with like Iceman saving the day rather than like, and then I call the gang. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So speaking of bad guys, you've got Mr. Sinister on the cover of your first issue. Everyone is like leaning into that. It's sinister, man. We love Mr. Sinister. (laughs) He is the evil glam mastermind of the 616. (laughs) I would say I can't really like I don't want to answer who shows up um, because, you know, you're not going to see any of those people in the first issue. Um, I'll say that much, including Mr. Sinister. And that was more meant as like, here's Iceman, like coming up against like all that, you know, is uh flung his way. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll just to like, let you guys down soft gently, uh, on a big pillow of snow, icy, ice manny stuff. Um, no Mr. Sinister in the first arc. I'm sorry. All right. Um, <laughs> if Mr. Sinister were to appear in later arcs, how glam would he be on a scale of one to David Bowie? If I had it my way and if, and if Alessandro had it his way, cause you're going to see, oh, this will be out by the time the preview is released, but we have a preview coming out March 28th of the interior artwork. We would glam it up. Like I would just be sending him stills from like Velvet Goldmine and like, you know, all, all, all the Pinterest boards because golly, look at him. But I think in more recent representations, he's like a little more toned down and, and kind of brought into sort of like, how do we X-Men movie logic this uh, costume? So column A, column B, I would, you know, I wouldn't make it alienating glam. Like I would make it like, whoa, this dude's tight glam, <laughs> you know, because, you know, in the X-Men world, it goes both ways. Like sometimes you lean in too much and then they become like uh, a parody of like 80s fashion. Um, and I would I would hope that we would just find the sort of like Rococo balance. <laughs> Mr. Sinister is classy above all else. Yeah. But uh, actually, yeah, speaking of visuals, I mean, so we ha- we haven't seen that preview yet, but. In reading a lot of old Iceman stuff to prepare for talking to you, there are just so many different ways Iceman can be portrayed, uh, specifically in his ice form, but also out, where he, you know, he doesn't have as distinctive an appearance in his human form as some other characters do. So in what direction are you guys going, both in terms of Bobby, like, not iced up, and Bobby iced up? Like, how extreme are we going to see the ice? How distinctive are are we going to see the not ice? I don't know how to answer. Like, there's no, I'm not like hiding any answers. I'm just more, I'm trying to figure out how to like eloquently describe what we've been doing. I think the real question is, will he be running around at any point in nothing but ice and cargo shorts? Like that really, like for some reason, that is my memorable Iceman costume. Is it the (laughs) the just cargo shorts costume? I see it more as like, he, I see it more as like kind of a, like Spider-Man maybe. I don't know. Like, so not that he's like hiding a suit underneath, but just that like when he's a civilian, he's a civilian. I don't want to do too much of the like, he's a civilian. And then he does a parlor trick with his ice hands. Like, I kind of want him to sort of, you know, when he's Bobby, he's Bobby. And when he's Iceman, he's Iceman. Um, That being said, I think we're going to see a lot of cool ice stuff. I was trying not to make it too like Green Lantern-y, where he'll be like, and now I isoprop. And like, I'm going to do an ice version of this. But we have a couple of those. and, And Alessandro has been doing some really 
marvelous pivots with the with the art duties like i'll say like oh do this that and the other and then he'll kind of send a sketch being like well like wouldn't it be cooler if it was this that we have uh i can tell you this especially because the content will be out by the time this releases you know we start the first issue with older bobby kind of training time displaced bobby and alessandro was really smart in how which one use their ice powers and elements to create sort of weapons and props and again, it, it'll always kind of speak to where they are emotionally, where they are in terms of like physical stress, because that's hard. Like if you think about it, he yeah, he should be like always just like, yeah, I can obliterate you with ice. But you have to think about the fact that these powers are coming through a human being. And, you know, if you think about your powers as like, I don't know, your ability to just let, let's say drawing, like if I'm exhausted and stressed and kind of looking over my shoulder at all times, I can't do as good of a drawing of if I'm like alone and prepped and ready. And, you know, I did all my exercises. So it'll go all over the charts, I guess. But I don't I don't think we're going to do too many things where like, he's in a civilian outfit, and then he like his hands sort of turn into Iceman hands. And I I haven't put him in his underwear yet, which is a little I can't believe I haven't yet. <laughs> um but I think I'm 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 trying to practice restraint in the sense of like ice puns. I'm trying to control those, uh, trying to control like how much gratuitous like, you know, man nakedness there is. <laughs> um, and then similarly, like, like I don't want I'm trying not to like find a way to put Wolverine in. I feel like that's how I know I'm doing the book justice is if I curb my own sort of like nerd desires just to like make sure I'm honoring the story first. <laughs> I feel like this um, is why comics need backup strips because then there could just be a page every issue of naked Iceman rattling off ice puns to a long-suffering looking Logan. <laughs> just yes, get everything yes. at once. Well, hopefully hopefully yeah. this will beget some cool Tumblr posts that'll, uh, you know, let me live out those dreams uh, between the pages. But yeah, so, you know, we're trying to kind of make sure that it's it's like Iceman, not, not me as Iceman. I... I a couple of things I've done sort of to make sure that like, he's not me, you know, I'm not, I'm not Emma Watson and Hermione Granger. There is a difference. <laughs> right. I guess to segue as gracefully as I can talking about kind of restraint and control and also Iceman's powers. That's a theme that we've seen come up with him a number of times that like when we have, you know, the apocalypse seed take over when we have, when we have Emma Frost take over his body back in the nineties. Well, and decimation when he literally thought he had lost his powers because he just got that anxious. Right. Like we've seen Iceman's, uh, the, the strength of his powers. Cause he's like an Omega level freaking mutant be so very tied to both his mindset and to his almost insecurities. And, is that something that this series is going to be playing with? I think it's worth mentioning. We've seen it play out the opposite way with the time-displaced version of him, who, when he sort of tapped into his feelings, basically leveled up. Uh, yeah, during the IVX tie-in, that's yeah. true, when he got icy instead of snowy, when he kissed Romeo that yeah. one time. Again, yeah, like, leaning into the metaphor goes a long way. And that's sort of the one through line, and in, the, in, the, and in terms of the title of this podcast, like, in terms of explaining it, I've definitely looked to like mental health and like your relationship with yourself as a way to kind of understand how powers work because like, you know, he, he hasn't been cut open. He hasn't been like analyzed by scientists. It's, you know, he's really kind of only got his own experience to figure it out from sort it out from. And uh, yeah. And then you look at young Bobby and we've been leaning into that too. Like here is this version of himself who got a fresh start because he came to a timeline where it's okay to be away. It's okay to be gay. You know, it's okay to kind of 
be fully yourself and look at him. He's, he's becoming quite the magnificent hero and fast. And then here's this guy. And, and I don't quite know his exact age. I, I, in my head, he's like between 28 and 32, but you know, he's, he's a little bit older and, and here's this kid who's like lapping him in a lot of ways. So we definitely are going to like look at that. And, and I have certainly, that's my big, like, if I'm being honest, that's sort of been my, like, okay, this is going to be my fingerprint. And, and what I am going to do with this dude is get him emotionally to a certain place, uh, and, and have some emotional breakthroughs that will maybe for writers to come and, and writers using him in other books will sort of clarify and unify where he's at with his powers and, and, and sort of how, his brain is the reason why his powers do and don't work. Cause the, yeah, that has been the case. Like I don't want to reference some things cause I'm scared of hinting at where I want to go, but it's kind of been mentioned earlier in this podcast. There is a, there's a relationship and I'm so down to explore it. Even in the not as cool Iceman stories, I'm so bad with these ice puns and I'm trying not to use them and <laughs> use them and it's making me a terrible interview. But, uh, <laughs> but like it's there, it's been there in all the reads and I can't wait to play with that. And use it in an action landscape. Cause like you said, it's like his anxiety keeps him from using power sometimes. Like what? <laughs> Speaking of Iceman and of pulling sort of versions of him and ideas of him from other moments or definitive bits of history, you've been kind of front loading a lot of Iceman appearances and a lot of Iceman comics lately. What are the ones that have most stuck out to you? What are the ones that sort of make you go, I want to write that Iceman? Mike Carey's run, I've been rereading it and I really wanted more of him in there, you know, and, and same thing with like Lemire. It's like, you know, these team books are just, it's hard. Like, it's just hard because, you know, seven to 10 different characters have emotional arcs. And then on top of that, you have to devote so many pages to just the event, the thing, you know, like you lose entire pages to just having drawings of stuff exploding. So, you know, it's not that he's ever been like done a disservice. It's just, yeah, he's been in team books. And so I really, I really liked going through Mike Carey's run because when I was reading it as just, you know, a fan, I'm going to I'm going to tell a, a truth here and, and and no one get mad at me. I would just buy the issues that Chris Pacello was drawing. So I had a very scattershot concept of what Mike was doing the whole time. So it's been fun to read it all the way through with the fill in artists. And, and I like that. And I want to, like, touch upon that. I was also really touched as a kid by the issue when Bobby and Cannonball are like doing that weird stuff with Creed, like they're like undercover agents or whatever. And then uh, Bobby has to go save his dad. And there's that like emotional Joe Matarera cover of like Bobby holding his dad. And you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And I liked rereading that as a grown up. <laughs> um, so yeah, little things here and there I'm kind of coming back to. But I would say like, yeah, the Mike Carey Iceman, that guy was cool. I want to see more of him. And same with like whenever Jeff would kind of throw some Bobby dialogue. I was like, what's up? And and Bendis, I, you know, it sounds like, you know, his run has some polarizing moments, but I just really love the way Bendis does humor. And I love that he gives everyone something, you know, an emotional beat that feels true. So those are kind of the ones I've been looking at and, and sort of revisiting with glee, if, if that's the right way to say it. But yeah, those that yeah, that's, my, that's my quick answer. And, and then uh, obviously, like, Marjorie Lou did some cool stuff, too. And so it's all a tapestry of <laughs> me reading a lot and, and, and sort of picking which Bobby moments need revisiting. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people forget just how many stories Bobby has been in, but he's been all over the place. For me, I, I definitely agree that the uh, the Mike Carey run is an underrated highlight. It's it's good stuff. Uh, but I always liked as well that period in the 90s, which I've only read part of, where he was like running around road tripping with Rogue after the Age of Apocalypse. That was always a friendship <laughs> I really dug. Like, they're so different, and yet there's this uh, almost fragility that they hide that kind of they're, they're kindred spirits in that regard. I always liked that. Yeah, like he, you know, his his uh, exterior is like all about the jokes and the humor and hers is all about like, hey, like I got this like and like, don't you worry nothing about it. But really, you know, she's also like, oh, I'm super vulnerable. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, someone on Twitter asked us if I would be playing into that rogue Bobby relationship. And and a friend of mine, too, was like, what about Cannonball? Like, they're such good friends, too. And, you know, if there's time, like I'm not opposed to it. There's just kind of similar to like these bigger X books. Like there's just so much story you have to tell for a character to go from point A to point B and, and change on an emotional level. It's hard to then be like, and like, I want to like have him hang out with, you know, rogue because like they are friends and what would they do? Um, you know, if it's organic, I, I will, I will try and sneak some moments in, but the, the first couple issues are very Bobby centric in terms of establishing who Bobby is when he's not around all those people. So yeah, except for issue two, that's Kitty Pride. She's in that one. I can talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Always happy to see more Kitty. But also like, I don't know, talking about his non-super supporting cast. Um, so we're, we've are we been covering an era of X-Factor on the show lately where Opal Tanaka is a major character. You know, she and Bobby are involved for, for kind yeah. of a while. What's, Dude, uh, Opal Tanaka has an army, or she at least has the deed to an army of Cyberi, and she has the best withering sarcasm in the X-Universe. I would not call her non-super. That's a valid <laughs> point. Okay. Non, you know, supernatural, I suppose, then. Although the Cyberi kind of skirt that. But um, as far as, you know, Bobby's exes, because we talked earlier about the relationships he'd been in that had not worked out. Now that he is out, like, I'm, I'm curious to see kind of how, how those characters, who the ones who are going to show up anyway, how they react to that, what their dynamic looks like at this point. Because, like, with Opal especially... Jay and I have always thought they made amazing friends, and as a couple, it never really felt quite right. Yeah, I mean, ooh, there's a lot of them, um, and I've been debating just how many of them are going to get screen time because it's it, it is interesting, and it is interesting how a relationship between a gay man and and a straight woman can change just from admitting that one thing. And I think at the very least. You know, a lot of people have kind of been uh, hitting me up about that, being like, hey, what the fuck, dude? Sorry, can we are we allowed to use F words on this? Totally. You can you can use any words you want, pretty much. Yep. Okay. sweet. I mean, the words I you know, there are a lot of words I won't use, but um, (laughs) that one's good. (laughs) Well, but anyway, yeah, you know, um, yeah, there have been people who have been like, you know, what the fuck? Like he's had a lot of ex-girlfriends. Like, was he like, you know, just basically using them? And and that's the part that. I'm so excited to have the perspective I have and to have the experiences I've had with like both, you know, like I said, men who came out, you know, in their late twenties and early thirties. And then also as someone who had dated women and stumbled through it, thinking that it was the thing to do. And, and, you know, I think a lot, like, it's just such an awesome story to tell because yeah, you know, there, there is chemistry between these people. Like if Bobby and Opal have chemistry, that could have been enough for Bobby to think like, oh, I should date her. 
But really, it's not. He's like, oh, she's just like a rad human being that I want to be around. But I have all these confused feelings about myself. And, you know, in the process, I hurt her or whatever. And and, and I don't I don't have uh, you won't see Opal in the first four or five issues. I'll definitely say that much. Um, but I think the Kitty Pride issue is going to at least give readers the story and the stuff that Bobby has had going on in his mind when he's been in those relationships. Because correct me if I'm wrong, please actually correct me if I'm wrong. But like, you know, Bobby hasn't really been seen telling a lot of the important people in his life, you know, that he's gay. It's obviously going to be, you know, I think everyone knows at this point, but I don't think he's had a lot of those talks yet. And that's going to be what's really fun about the series is finding out who he's talked to, who he hasn't talked to. I really do want to put something in where like you just like it's like a I don't know if this is going to happen, but like I kind of want to do like a splash page of just him sort of like receiving text message responses from like various uh, characters in his past, like telling him what they thought of, of the fact that like he's gay or something. That like, he's like, hey, like I might not have, you know, if it's already gone around, like, uh, well, here it's coming from me now, like I'm gay. Um, and I, and I, I, I thought maybe that would be a good place to put something from, uh, from Opal and, and even Spider-Man. <laughs> Aw, Spider-Man and Firestar. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like they, you know, I think that's the other thing too, is like, how are your straight friends going to react? Yeah, there's just, yeah, that it was so funny. Cause I've been trying to pitch something, um, not about sort of Bobby's like identity and that journey, uh, to put in the series. And my editor's like, that's cool. That's fine. But you have to remember, like, that's been people have already tried to tell that story before. And what you have in front of you is so much more interesting. And I and I have to agree that, like, it's just cool. He's so cool. And he's such a lovable guy. And everyone's on his side. And, you know, there's just so much to do with that. Um, and I'm so excited. Sorry, I'm sounding like a fanboy. No, no <laughs> for I, what it's worth. Yeah. I mean, we feel the exact same way. Like, Jane, I've had so many conversations about the resurrection books. And we keep coming back to Oh, geez, and there's Iceman. I'm so excited to see what Cena does with Iceman. So you can be a fanboy because we're fanboys too, so we can all just do Well, no, together. we've got another degree of separation from the actual creative work. I mean, yes, so. true, but even so. Point is, the but enthusiasm still. is in good company. So I think it's probably time for us to jump to listener questions because we've had quite a few. And a couple of them have to do with characters who are going to come in. I didn't actually snag this question I meant to from Tumblr, but someone had specifically asked about Beast, which is a question I've been wondering about, too, because we've been seeing the teenage Iceman kind of avoiding addressing any of this with Hank, who's very much his best friend. And the adult Iceman obviously has a much more complicated relationship with the character. But we've also got an adult Beast who's done things like pretend to be gay for an extended time to piss off his girlfriend. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was that was a while ago. I remember that, that. was during Morrison's run. Uh huh. Yeah, that was about 17 years ago, which Morrison's really run was 17 years ago. <laughs> oh, my God. No, we're really why old. did you just age me? <laughs> <laughs> I like still think of Morrison's run as like yesterday. Oh, man. Right? Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I have intentions to use him. I don't think I'm going to devote any screen time to them having like a talk about it just because they you know those two have done so many other things over the past few years for them to kind of be focused on that i think they'll be okay with like the personality side but i do i i would like to kind of when i can sneak in like ex-friends i i do want to go back to talking about sort of the friendship bobby has with hank and the history and just how long they've known each other and all the things they've done together i do want to revisit that or visit it going to the questions that i did actually uh, get down sure. um 
Listener Nazumi Pai asks on Tumblr, I think one of the most important elements of minority sexual orientation identity development is getting to know other queer people. Are we going to see ice men have more non-romantic interactions with existing queer characters? Short answer, yes. Long answer, I think I can say this. Cause I, and I, and I saw this question, I saw someone ask this question on Twitter, like, oh, is he going to be hanging out with any of the other like queer members of the Marvel universe? And I've always been drawn to North star. I, I just like love his personality. And yes, I yes. think, <laughs> and I think also like he is a really good, like foil is not the right word. Counterpart might be the right word, but like his perspective is going to be really good to have uh, play against Bobby's perspective on things. So at the very least, I can say Yas North Star. Yeah, he's kind of the guy who's always been very, very secure and confident in his identity in ways that Bobby has always kind of struggled with. I remember he's um, Canadian, <laughs> and and I remember when North Star came out. I mean, to be fair, it was very much in the nineties-est heart of the nineties. But he came out while yelling at a dude he was punching a lot in the middle of a fight. <laughs> Like, you know, <laughs> veins in his neck bulging and giant muscles and explosions. Okay, look, to be and... fair, that's also how I came out, so. <laughs> oh, that's true, that's true. While flying. Yeah. It was, was really impressive. I was I was surprised by uh, by that element. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, North Star, um, to tangent briefly, there was an issue of, I believe, Amazing X-Men, I think it was written by uh, James Tinian IV, where North Star and Anol talked about being, like, a minority within a minority, talking about, you know, gay characters in the Marvel Universe, just hanging out and talking about stuff. And that was a highlight for me. That was actually one of my very favorite North Star appearances ever right there. So going on to another question, Annie asks on Tumblr, what are the extra challenges, if any, that come with writing a character who has been around for a long time, but simultaneously just had a big change or reveal in their story? I would say, so, you know, like in honor of of this podcast, like I think it's the the big challenge has been like, I'm a big fan of continuity, like we're all big fans of continuity. But then we were talking about, you know, before the recording started, like sometimes there's continuity that like, oh, that just doesn't play like in the Iceman miniseries. You know, it's implied that like Bobby's parents, you know, were in their 20s in the 40s and they drop very specific dates. And no, like I can't, you know, we're not doing that. Like they can't be, you know, a million years old. It's like sort of the Aunt May thing. Like how old is she? So I think it, it's been hard to kind of like, I don't ever want to feel like I'm, I'm plucking continuity for when it serves me, but I, I lean into the stuff that, that does work. And, and again, like it's been great because backstory wise, like it's not that hard to honor all of the decisions the previous writers have made with Bobby. I think it's just more that he's done so much. That's been a little overwhelming for me. And like, and, you know, also finding out where he's been, you know, where he's actually been a bigger player and had more agency in stories that I haven't necessarily read. That's been the challenge is like going back and kind of finding the other books and stuff. Like I didn't really read much of X Factor as a kid, but I have to now, you know, Todd Nock was like, that was my favorite Bobby. Like you need to just like reread all of that or read some of it for the first time too. So that's been the big challenge I think is like finding the windows that I hadn't been looking through before. All right. And finally, uh, Pawpaw72546 asks, also on Tumblr, Bobby's relatively uniquely positioned to have a conversation with an older or younger version of himself. Given the same opportunity, what's the one thing you'd want to warn your younger self about? And what's something you'd like to remind an older version of yourself in 20 to 30 years? Oh, man. That's a lot deeper than I was expecting. Yeah, no, that seemed like a good closer. That was epic. 
and like mad deep, you know, okay, so that was like, what would I say to myself? I really wish that I could have told myself like, dude, like, just tear off the bandaid. Like, what does it matter what anyone thinks in regards to like, well, anything like I just wish I'd have been the Michelle to my Romy and been like, who cares? Like, no, really, though, break it down. Like, who cares? Like, what are people going to do to you? That's actually going to change your life. And and this is coming from someone who grew up in a relatively safe neighborhood with relatively like nonviolent parents, you know, and, and that's a lot of people. Obviously, there are others who do have to worry for their lives about uh, and their physical safety when sort of revealing vulnerable information. But I just wish I'd have said that, like, really, like, break it down. Like, what's the worst case scenario? And like, I could have just lived a much richer, fuller, open life, like, you know, from 15 on, but I was so scared. I was so scared because I like wanted to be cool. And now I think, you know, the thing that makes me different is what makes me cool. Um, anyway, I would say that. And then to me, 20 years in the future, what 20 years in the future me would say to me now, or what I would say to me, what you'd want to make sure to remind future Cena of remember to save money because we haven't been yet. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, that or, or like, yeah, just like keep taking it easy, man. Like just keep reminding yourself that you only get, as far as I know, you only get one life. So make sure that every day ends like net positive and as much as you can and, and make whatever sacrifices are necessary to like keep yourself on top and, and not uh, hurt yourself in the process. That's what I'd say. Oh man, here, here. Yeah. Some heavy stuff. <laughs> That's a, a perfect closing note. So with that, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'm really looking forward to seeing Iceman. I know a preview of the first issue will already be out by the time this episode airs, but when does the actual series hit the stands? We get both issues one and two in June. So I am so excited. And thank again, yeah, thank you both for having me. And I really do think we're all going to have a fun time with this Iceman series because like, at the end of the day, I think we all want the same thing. Like we want to laugh and we want to learn more about this guy named Bobby. And then we want to see really, really cool ice stuff. <laughs> With signature sound effects. <laughs> yes. Coming <Back>. soon. <laughs> so where, where can folks, back back. where can folks find you and your other projects online? I'm lucky to have this, this, this funny little name. Uh, and, and, and you can pretty much, if you type in like at Cena Grace, S-I-N-A-G-R-A-C-E on anything. You can most likely find me at the top, uh, you know, Twitter and Instagram, YouTube. Uh, I have Snapchat. I don't like Snapchat. And yeah, I'm on Facebook and everything. And please find me, say hi. And, you know, if you want to check out some other stuff, like uh, I did some books at Image and and I wrote and drew them. So yeah, you can see what I'm like as a, an artist. But really, Iceman's most I've pushed myself as a writer and and I'm super proud of of where it's going. So I would say maybe just don't. Maybe just read Iceman first. <laughs> so we are an entirely listener-supported podcast and some of those tiers of support come with acknowledgement on the show from a range of fictional characters. Today we are going to, um, I believe, bring in a villain who is teased, but as we now know, not introduced in Iceman number one and hand the mic to Mr. Sinister. For hundreds of years, I have focused obsessively on bloodlines. My own, that of Scott Summers, and that of Jean Grey. But perhaps my vision has been sacrificing breadth for depth. Perhaps it is time for a change. My marauders, retrieve the genetic code of Zach Llewellyn. Nasty boys, a DNA sample from Matt Richter, if you please. 
And I, Sinister, although not for a few issues, shall pay a cordial visit to Bobby Drake. Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men is recorded in Portland, Oregon and produced by Kyle Yount, host of the Godzilla podcast, Kaiju Cast. Special thanks to our guests, Cena Grace, and be sure to check out Iceman number one and number two, both out in June. And check out more episodes of our show, which come out every Sunday on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and at explainthexmen.com. You can also come to explainthexmen.com for extra content, visual companions to every episode, along with interviews, fan art, recaps, video reviews, and more. Our show is totally listener-supported. If you'd like to help us stay in the air and stay ad-free, check out the Patreon link at the top of explainthexmen.com. Next week, we'll meet Genosha's surprise new magistrate as the Extinction Agenda begins. (laughs) 